Good afternoon. It is Friday, August 28, 2015. This is Chickie Fitzgerald with the Executive Girlfriends Group. And it is a bit of a cloudy day here in Florida. Uh, I guess we are uh, going to be bracing ourselves a little bit for Erica that is going to make its way through the Caribbean today. But uh, we have been enjoying sunny skies. I know our last show, uh, we were coming off about three weeks of uh, cloudy, rainy days. So it's good to have sunshine back in the sunshine state. We have a really unique show for you today. We don't we don't talk a lot about money uh, other than making it on the executive girlfriends group, but so many uh, so many of us are at that stage of life when if we haven't been thinking about it, we better start thinking about it. And so our guest today is author Emily Guy Birkin. And Emily has written, well, actually her original book that we're going to be talking about is The Five Years Before You Retire, Retirement Planning When You Need It the Most. And I just commented to her before we started, boy, do I need this. And I'm sure many of our readers do. And we'll talk about our new book in a minute. But uh, before we do that, let's dig in and hear a little bit about Emily. Emily, welcome. Oh, thank you for having me. Well, it is definitely my pleasure. Emily, I would just love to hear about you, uh, you know, not the author side of you, but, uh, you know, give us, uh, and it could be more more than a thumbnail. I mean, I really want to hear about what brought you to the place that you actually became an author, uh, because people don't, uh, you know, generally pop out uh, of their mothers and begin writing books. <laughs> I'm sure there are some. Um, well, yeah, it's uh, I've had kind of an unusual career path. Um, I uh, have a bachelor's degree in English and French literature, which oh, does not goodness. really, you know, tell you money expert <laughs> later <laughs> on. Um, uh, but uh, that was that was where I started. I, I have actually always wanted to be a writer, um, but uh, always assumed I was going to be a novelist. Um, I had various jobs through my 20s uh, and ended up uh, teaching high school English. I, I ended up getting a master's degree in English education, and I taught high school English for four years. And um, life kind of ended up changing that direction. Um, my husband and I had our first child in 2010 at the same time that uh, he took a job in another state. So I took a year off uh, just to, to you know, stay home with our, our son and um, got started uh, doing some blogging just to bring a little bit of extra money in while my son was napping. And one of my first blogging clients was a uh, finance writer. Uh, now, my father was a uh, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, a financial planner, so I do have a little bit of background, and I was familiar with the the, uh, the industry, and I've always been interested in money and pretty good with it. Um, but it was uh, through blogging. It was for a site called ptmoney.com, which is uh, still very active and an excellent site. Uh, I highly recommend checking it out if you've got any questions about money or want to learn a little bit more about ways to make money and that sort of thing um, that are unusual or things that you wouldn't necessarily think about. So... Um, Phil Taylor of PT Money liked my work, and uh, he passed my name along to uh, friends. And um, next thing I knew, I was a personal finance blogger. <laughs> and uh, oh, wow. from there, that, uh, um, that grew into writing books. Uh, my, my publisher was familiar with my work online, and they approached me about, uh, about writing some books on retirement. So uh, it's been a very strange trip, um, but I feel like this is one of those uh, – the career path has been exactly perfect because um, 
I came to this career with um, a lot of things that money experts don't necessarily have. Uh, the background in education means that I'm used to making kind of complex ideas um, relatable and uh, more easily understood by a layperson because I, I was doing that for four years as a high school teacher. And right. uh, I come to it with a background in writing. So I'm, I'm focused more on the communication aspect of it, uh, whereas a lot of times money experts tend to be kind of wonky. <laughs> right. So, um, and so I, I feel like that's placed me in this excellent uh, position to, to become a, a money and retirement expert, which is not ever what I thought I would be. <laughs> right, right. Well, and, and for someone uh, your age, unless you really, really wear your age well, to be writing about retirement uh, you know, is kind of a funny twist as well. Mm -hmm. yeah. So, you know, I was wondering if there was some catalyst in that, because sometimes we see, I mean, I, I know for myself, I watched my parents, and my dad was a minister. Uh, I grew up in Indiana. I see. Uh, are you still living in Lafayette? Yeah, I'm in Lafayette, yes. Oh, great. Well, I, I actually uh, lived east of Indianapolis uh, in Greenfield and grew up in Rushville. Okay. And, you know, during those years, my dad was a pastor and my mother was a music teacher. And needless to say, there was not a lot of money coming into our household. Mm -hmm. And because the church always provided the house for us, my parents never owned real estate. Mm -hmm. And and so by the time, you know, my mother ended up in, in a, a assisted living facility and then my dad ended up having to move in. And, you know, by that time, I mean, it was just way, way, way too late. And I realized that they had not done, not only had they not done a good job of preparing themselves, but I had a really bad financial education, right? Mm -hmm, they mm -hmm. just didn't teach me that it was important. And not because they didn't care about me. I mean, they just, they didn't know themselves. Mm -hmm, yeah. Yeah, that's a that's a common issue that I hear from a lot of people is that they've had to kind of it, they're self-taught when it comes to um, financial education, um, and it's because money is such a loaded topic. People um, families don't talk about money or religion or sex or politics. All <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, and so those are the things that uh, that people kind of get hung up on and have trouble with um, later in life. So, you know, it's interesting. You, you start off uh, in, in the book that you uh, have already published, uh, and again, we'll talk about your new book shortly. Uh, but this book, again, the five years before you retire, starts off talking really just about the nitty-gritty of retirement finance. How far away are you saving and budgeting for the next five years, income on retirement, and finding the right financial planner? And I have to tell you, and I know we'll talk about this in a little bit, um, I in this anomaly, well, my husband and I both, because he's almost 65. And uh, for the better part of the last 15 years, he actually worked for me. And mm -hmm. so, you know, he didn't have a retirement from that. He's currently working as a sales guy. Uh, and I've worked for myself for 20 years. And, you know, we, we did a pretty good job of saving money until I decided to be an entrepreneur. And then we started pulling out all of those resources and lost it all, right? Mm -hmm. um, but the, the unique thing that I want to bring up is we are at that stage where we should be five years before we retire, right? But mm -hmm. we've got a freshman in high school and a senior in high school. I started mm -hmm. really late having kids. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. we're facing the big C word, College, right in the mm -hmm. midst of all this. So, while trying to save, you know, we're looking at the you know twenty thousand, thirty thousand, forty thousand dollar college bills every year, and it's like, holy cow, 
what was I thinking? So, <laughs> you know, the picture in the mirror may definitely be closer than it appears. So how far mm-hmm. away are you? Talk to us about when you really should start thinking about this. Well, I, you know, the the common response to that is like, you should start thinking the first day you start your first job when you're 21. <laughs> and uh, that's the kind of advice I hate hearing. It's the shoulda, coulda, woulda advice. Yes. Um, but I, there's there's some truth in that, in that the earlier you start thinking about it, the better off you're going to be. So today, <laughs> today is the day you need to start thinking about it. Now, I, I well, chose, and if you're listening to the show, you're already way ahead of the game of exactly. the people who are around you who are not. <laughs> exactly. Now, I, I chose to write specifically about the five years before you retire because that's the time for most people where it actually becomes real. Uh, retirement's kind of an amorphous goal through most of our lives. I mean, we're, we're living our lives, we're, we're um, building our careers, we're raising our kids. And so, you know, you can't worry about retirement when junior needs uh, braces, you know, right. that sort of thing. So the five years beforehand is um, it's kind of a, what some experts call the red zone, where it's close enough that you can feel that it's real, but far enough away that you still have some, uh, some ability to um, make sure it happens on time. <clears throat> right. Excuse me. And so that's something that's, um, that I think that a lot of people uh, just, they just don't, let it enter their minds until that point. Um, and so that's why I wanted to write this book for those people who are in that that kind of red zone. Um, and I wanted to let them know that, um, you know, if you haven't saved a single penny, five years might be a little uh, um, ambitious, but, right. uh, you know, with, with the right uh, steps right now and with the proper planning, uh, five years is not unreasonable for a lot of people. Right. Well, and, and, you know, there's so many different ways that that you can change your financial future. And, and mm-hmm. you know, we, we're coming off of having had a spectacular business failure uh, about six years ago and really having to start from scratch, uh, mm-hmm. you know, in mm-hmm. many ways. And, you know, do I, I'll never forget the day that we got to the place where they had to come and pick up our Crystal Springs water dispenser, oh, right? And, you know, who cares about that? You know, you got water <clears throat> everywhere, your refrigerator, bottled water, whatever. But it was symbolic for me mm-hmm. of, mm-hmm. you know, this wasn't just belt tightening. It was now it was giving up the things that, mm-hmm. you know, I really wanted. <laughs> and I remember my husband saying, well, you know, maybe we should just turn off cable. And, you know, I mean, and, and as you start thinking about those ways to save money, Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, 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 it actually feels uh, a little bit like heart surgery. So mm-hmm. your next chapter is talking about saving and budgeting for the next mm-hmm. five years, and you follow that on with talking about income into retirement. And, you know, I'd like you to actually talk about both of those together because, um, you know, in my case, my husband's 65 now, or he'll be 65 in January, and fortunately he's in really good health and he's in a job he absolutely loves and Mm -hmm. every year is you know doubling his income so i mean Mm -hmm. he's just doing amazing so he doesn't want to quit anytime soon and i am really really grateful for that (laughs) so so you know one one question i want to ask before before you respond to me i'd like you to uh, again try to weave this into this discussion is what is retirement i mean it when we were growing up it was 65 right Mm -hmm. Well, it's um it's actually the the 
world is kind of changing. Um, term retirement is changing, and that's that's partially because you know we don't work the way our parents worked um, and their parents worked, where you know. Dad would have uh, one job at one company from um, his very first job through till his retirement, and then his that job would take care of him. And so he would retire at age 65, get a nice gold watch, and then go play golf for the rest of his life. Um, and that that's not how it works anymore. Um, and that's partially because we we switch jobs so frequently. Um, that's partially because we are living longer. Um, you know, we can be productive members of the workforce much later. 65 used to be an old man, and now it's it's still the prime of life. Um, so that has changed, and uh, the way people view retirement has changed, and some of that has to do with finances. Um, you know, we got used to this idea that, you know, you get this extended vacation at the end of your life, um, but that's not necessarily financially feasible. Um, you know, it was feasible for that one wonderful generation where they had pensions and things like that, but it's not so so feasible for the majority of people in 2015. So that's part of it. And then another part of it is people, because they've switched jobs and they do enjoy their work, like your husband loves his job, they don't want to leave. You know, there there is a, a big letdown when you retire and you've got nothing else on the other end of it. So people still want to create new chapters to their lives. So retiring at 65 is no longer just kind of the standard anymore. It's it's more like about making your life and making it the, the life you want to live at every stage. And that's something I really believe in and I really think is important um, is that you choose the life you want to live no matter where you are. And then Retirement, in some ways, takes care of itself that way because you're doing the things that you want to do while still keeping an eye on the future. Right. Well, so, then, then you talk, uh, you know, again about the importance of income in, in retirement, and and mm -hmm. also making sure you're getting the right advice about mm -hmm. what you do have, what you do need, and really, uh, one of the things that comes out of that, unfortunately, is how long do you have to work? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and that's uh, that's one of those things. It's so difficult to determine um, these things because figuring out how much money you're going to need is based on a piece of information you can't know, which is how long you're going to live. You know, there's no possible way to know that. And so, um, trying to figure out how much you can live on um, and what your income in retirement needs to be is going to be dependent on that piece of information, which you don't know, and then some other variables, which you can have a better idea of, like your risk tolerance, um, your um, your interest and ability to um, balance your portfolio yourself and um, and that sort of thing, or if you are the sort of person who's much happier just receiving a paycheck. Um, and, uh, you know, all of those sorts of, of uh, issues. So um, one of the things that I get um, worried about is uh, people get so focused on saving money for retirement. And, you know, I'll never stop advising people to save money for retirement. But they don't know how they're going to access that income in retirement. And so that's something, um, you know, as you're making your plans, you need to figure out, how are you going to get the money that you need? Um, so, for instance, you know, if you've got a 401k or an IRA, you might think, okay, well, I'll just take 4% out of it each year, um, you know, however big it is, and then that's what I'll live on. Well, you know, 
is that going to work for you? Do you have enough money for 4% a year to last the rest of your life? Um, you know, are you someone who can just take 4% out or are you someone who's going to be like, well, I'll just take a little bit more this year. It'll be fine. Um, so, you know, all of those things are things you need to take into account. Um, so it's for those reasons that I highly recommend people use the, the bucket method for retirement income. Um, and what that is, is, uh, you spread out your assets into three different buckets, which are associated with um, different periods of time. So the first bucket would be for the first, for, um, first through fifth year of your retirement. And so you would put those, um, the money in that bucket in, um, into things that are, are steady. Um, they might give you a little bit of a return, but mostly it's intended to take care of your finances in those first five years. So you want stability and liquidity. Um, so things like um, um, CDs, U.S. Treasury bills, money market funds are places where you might put things in that first bucket. And so that's so you know what you're going to be living on the first few years after you retire. Uh, the second bucket is for your income between years 6 and 15. And so you can be a little more aggressive there because you've got a little time for it to, to build. And so you can put things in like bonds and, and um and that sort of thing, um, leaning towards the safety of bonds so that you know that the money will likely be there, but you're earning a little interest. And then if you've got a third bucket for um, years 16 plus, then you can be much more aggressive there because you have the same kind of time frame that a younger investor would have because you're not going to touch it until 16 hmm. years from then. And then that way, that's one of the ways to stretch a nest egg that if you were following the 4% rule would not necessarily cover your needs right. for the for your retirement. Right. And you know, I've I've actually never heard of that approach and that makes so much sense. I mean, we watched the craziness uh, mm -hmm. this week in the stock market and mm -hmm. you know, the the woe is me, what am I going to do? My my uh IRA just disappeared. Well, mm -hmm. you know, I don't know how old the people are who are making those kinds of statements right now, but clearly they haven't thought it through. And they know that people like Warren Buffett and, you know, folks who have made so much money, uh, you know, on Wall Street over the years, uh, they are all long-term investors, no matter how mm -hmm. old they are, mm -hmm. right? And and so thinking long-term uh, while still taking care of the short-term, you know, is, is really, really super smart. Yeah, yeah, that's um, uh, something that's – the bucket method was um, at its height of popularity in the 70s, and then it kind of um, – with high interest rates, and um, um, it, it kind of fell by the wayside because you could plan on taking 4% a year uh, right. for many years safely, um, but – if you plan to retire um, the year that there's a recession, like you know, all of those folks who are retiring in 2007 and 2008, um, the, the taking 4% out is, is not necessarily going to be helpful because there was a negative growth. <laughs> right, right. Well, and you know, there's so much uncertainty right mm -hmm. now uh, on so many fronts, and and uh, you know, the biggest one being the government, and and you know, who's going to be in power. Uh, and, you know, will we still have things like Obamacare, uh, you know, that, that we have to live with? Or, mm -hmm. you know, will Social Security be there? Uh, you know, what what is the tax rate going to be? I mean, that, that's mm -hmm. the big one. And for those of us, uh, you know, who are fortunate enough to have significant income that does get taxed, most of us pay way more in taxes than, than the average uh, person makes in a year. And and just the volatility of this discussion mm -hmm. makes me crazy. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
It's very difficult so how to do make you plan? plans. When, when, and I love this, this uh, section of the book called The Government Giveth and the Government Taketh Away. <laughs> Oh yeah. <laughs> um, well, the um, the way that I I, I f- focus on planning is um, there are certain factors that you can count on. Um, for instance, uh, Social Security. There's a lot of hand rigging in the media about Social Security and if it's going anywhere. Um, and I'm actually currently at, at work on a third book on Social Security. And um, basically, we we do a lot of worry about, you know, what's going to happen to Social Security in the future. But of all of the nations that offer some sort of a social insurance program like Social Security, America is the only one that does uh, 70-year projections. And so what that means is, uh, even though that means people are saying, the sky is falling, the sky is falling in 2085, it's going to be depleted, um, we're actually looking into that, whereas other countries are just kind of, getting there when they get there. So that means that we actually have time to put plans in place. So um, that when I discovered that in the course of my research, that made me feel a lot better about um, the concerns that something might happen to Social Security because it is uh, something that we plan ahead for, we think about in the future, and, um, you know, it is you know, the political third rail. People are not going to allow it to disappear because of how popular it is. So that's one thing that, uh, you know, you can count on Social Security. And so that's a place to start your plans. Um, the other thing is, um, you know, focus on being um, financially agile um, or and, and financially flexible. So if you Treat your life at every point as, um, you know, you are bringing in whatever amount of money that you're bringing in, um, and you're trying to live on the least that you can while putting other other amounts of money aside. No matter what happens to to your portfolio, if you live in that that mindset, you're going to be okay even if there's a major – a major recession or major problem, because by doing that, by living on less than you make, um, you're already used to a um, reduced circumstances, which you know a lot of people end up retiring to reduced circumstances because they made so much when they were um, when they were working but didn't save. Um, so you're already used to that. It, it won't feel like a shock. It won't feel like you're you're giving up anything. It's just right. a continuation of your life, and so um, that will allow you to put money aside and and plan for it but gives you a backup plan. Um, So if there's, you know, if things, you know, all go sideways, you still will be okay because you know how to live on less. Right, right. Well, again, really, really wise advice. So uh, part three of this book, and then I want to shift our attention to to your new book. Uh, Part three of this book was about home and family and other considerations. And um, you know, you, you begin talking about housing uh, in retirement, you know, where you're going to live. And, you know, it's so funny because, again, right now in, in our own personal situation, uh, because of having lost everything six years ago, uh, we're fortunate to still be in our house. But, you know, we're, we're still trying to work things out with the bank of, of what that's going to look like moving forward, right? Mm-hmm. And And the interesting thing about that is with interest rates where they are right now, uh, and, and, you know, I, I still can't understand how banks can offer 40-year mortgages to people who are 65, right? <laughs> but, you know, yeah. they're, they're coming back with, with an offer, uh, you know, that, that is potentially this long-term loan. Um, but the interesting thing is we actually will have a lower house payment 
than we could actually rent anywhere. So we would be stuck mm-hmm. in this big, you know, five bedroom house that, you know, in three years when my son or four years when my son goes off to college, you know, we're not going to need it. So, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. how do you actually assess this whole picture of, you know, do you live in a place where your kids can come and visit with your grandkids or, you know, do you downsize, um, you know, do you sell and rent rather than having, you know, the, the overhead of, of having to maintain a home? What are, what are the considerations? Well, there's um, the there are certain things that you want to take into account. Um, you know, the, this is a, another one of those choices that's uh, there's the dollars and cents, and then there's the emotional components. So, on the dollars and cents side, if you want to stay in your home, you got to think about not just you know your mortgage. Um, uh, you also need to remember that there's other costs associated with staying in in the home that you're in. Um, it, you know, pro- property taxes, homeowners insurance, maintenance, and all of those things. And so that's something that you can you know put into consideration. There's also um, the consideration of uh, how easy will it be to age in place. You know, is this is your home something that's going to be a good place to be 80? Uh, oh, and that's <laughs> yeah. And that's something you know I I do want to um, you know caution like taking that kind of thinking too far and you know no one would live in anything but a, a one bedroom <laughs> um a single floor house um however you know just the way i think about it is anything that irritates you about your house when you are young Imagine how that's going to feel when you have heart mobility issues. Oh yeah. So totally. yeah, that's that's the way to to think about it without you know going overboard and like this place would be terrible for a, an octogenarian. Oh so, exactly. <laughs> well, and and you know I, I forget whether it's in this book or the other one. Um, you know you you talk about moving close to closer to your kids and Mm -hmm. about, oh my gosh, it must have been 10 years ago at least, um, we moved my husband's mother, uh, who uh, at the time was the only living grandmother, uh, only living grandparent at all. We actually uh, sold her house and and moved her across the street from us, which, Mm -hmm. you know, people would think, oh my gosh, having your mother-in-law across the street, but, you know, (laughs) it was actually the best thing we ever did. Mm -hmm. First of all, Mm -hmm. we could keep an eye on her. Mm-hmm. And, you know, over time, her health deteriorated, and we ended up having to have, have uh, you know, home health care coming in. And, and we had uh, been really, really smart about her. We haven't been quite as smart about ourselves of buying, um, you know, the long-term care policy so that she mm-hmm. could age in place and age mm-hmm. at home. Now, mm-hmm. she did have bouts of, you know, going to hospitals and such. But, uh, you know, I mean, I, I really encourage people to, to have that discussion early on with their own kids because we have that discussion with our kids because mm-hmm. they, they experience that of how mm-hmm. great it was to have her there for them, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, sure. and that yeah. whole grandparent uh, availability. And so, you know, we would like to be, you know, we have no idea where our kids will land, but, you mm-hmm. know. Um, so anyway, I, I know that there's a lot in those those five chapters. And let me just mention what's what's in this section of the book, housing and retirement, the family fortunes, creating a budget on a retirement income, common retirement pitfalls, and if you don't have enough saved. So again, focusing on on the money side of living, but as you said, that the emotional side is is a big piece too. Sure, absolutely. Um, and in particular, with uh, talking about you know m- moving close to your kids or having you know uh, retired parents move close to you, the the big thing is is having um, your expectations be clear. And it sounds yes. like that's what you did with uh, with your mother in law and what you're doing with your kids is you know, make it clear what what it is everybody expects and and you know um, how that's going to play out because you know the reason why 
people think, oh, my goodness, your mother-in-law is across the street, is because of, uh, like, unmatched expectations as to, you know, how oh, exactly. often you see her and exactly. that sort of thing. Right. Uh, and so, so that, that is a very big part of the emotional component of retiring. Exactly. Well, I want to I want to jump uh, to your to your new book, and and this book is coming out in October, right? October second. Okay, great. It is called Choose Your Retirement: Find the Right Path to Your New Adventure. And you know, I'm so glad that you put that uh, in that light because as as I get closer to sixty, and my my husband is nearing sixty five. You know, that used to seem so old, and just mm-hmm. all of a sudden, it doesn't anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I'm I'm the mom going to the Friday night uh, football games and watching my son play, and, you know, I mean, doing things that were more characteristic of 40-year-olds, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And, and, you know, uh, many of my kids' friends do have much younger parents. But um, you start off this book um, with, uh, again, some of the same kinds of concepts, but you, you set the stage. I love part one of the book, which is clearing your path to retirement. And you talk here about your money psychology, like how mm-hmm. are you thinking about money, uh, removing small barriers, demystifying investments, and figuring out what you want from retirement. Now, that's a mouthful, but can you distill down this clearing your path to retirement concept? Sure, sure. Yeah, a lot of the reason why money is difficult for so many people is not because the actual subject is is um, that tough. It's because of the the barriers that we have, emotional, psychological, um, and you know, intellectual barriers that we have. Um, and uh, our expectations, uh, you know, from retirement and all of those things. And so, and a lot of them are uh, unexamined. So uh, the money psychology in particular, I was just flabbergasted when I first read um, the research by um, Dr. Bradley Klontz. He has come up with what he calls money scripts. And these are um, the way that you view money. And it's usually these scripts are written in childhood. They're largely unconscious. And uh, they affect how you view money the rest of your life. And there's four money scripts. Um, There's money vigilance, money avoidance, money worship, and money status. So, um, for instance, uh, money vigilance is if you have a tendency to believe that you need to keep a a close eye on your money. Uh, Money avoidance is if you believe that um, either money is bad or rich people tend to be unethical or that you yourself don't deserve money. Um, Money worship is when you feel that uh, money will always make your life better. And money status is when you feel as though your possessions um, reflect your worth as a human being. And there's, uh, you know, do you want to make clear, there's nothing wrong with any of these money scripts. They just give you the, um, the framework for looking at money. And depending on your framework, you, you are going to be um, vulnerable to different um, disordered money behavior. Right. So, and that's well, something I, I if you don't I actually think there's that. another one because the bucket I fall into is that I just always thought it would be there. <laughs> Um, I, well, I and just that's actually didn't worry yeah. about it, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which yeah, translates um, that actually into can... inadequate planning. <laughs> 
Um, that's uh, that can fall uh, as a part of uh, money avoidance. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of nuance in these. Um, right. So no, it's if not that you, I think money is bad. No, <laughs> no, no. Yeah. There's if if you're like, well, I don't have to worry about it because you know it's, right. it's going to be there. Uh, right. That's a similar right. thing because you're you're kind of avoiding yeah, thinking about it. Yeah, that's what I it. thought you were going to say in mm-hmm. defining mm-hmm. that. I, that's what I thought that was going to be. Just mm-hmm. avoiding thinking about it just because, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and uh, I was you know certainly doing lots to make it through all of those years mm-hmm. but um you know i my my kids are like the complete antithesis of one another my daughter spends every penny that comes into her fingers mm-hmm. uh and my son you know saves 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 in fact my my son is uh one of my equity shareholders in my company because when i didn't have any money he loaned me money and i told him i would give him a four to one return if he would <laughs> let me have it for more than a year and uh, uh anyway it's just so funny to watch their money psychology mhm yes and uh you know that's one of the things that i think a lot of people because money is you know seems to be about mathematics people um don't realize that there is this emotional psychological component to it and that can lead to um a lot of not great choices that you know, just wouldn't make any sense from an outside observer, but makes sense within your money psychology. And so that's something that, um, that, you know, you really do need to know yourself and know um, what's going on in your life and, and, and in your head when you have money. Uh, and that can help you to make better choices. And again, that's not to say that there's anything wrong with any of these money scripts, you know, that, that you there's no value judgment on them. It's just a matter of are they um, is following these scripts leading you to the financial life you want? Right, right. Well, and and uh, again, uh, you know, I think because in in the situation where you've got other people in the household, and whether it's taking care of elderly people or you know being a single parent and having children or having uh, another. Uh, a spouse in in the house with you who has a different money script, mm-hmm. right? I, do you address that that in the book as well? Uh, yes, there's um um it is important for you to recognize the things that um that are. Um, working with you and working against you. Um, and so uh, that's when I talk about some um, small barriers. Um, basically, there are a lot of little things in our way from um, uh, allowing us to get to where we want to be. And sometimes that can be like a little thing in our way is, you know, our, our spouse's money script. <laughs> um, and so it's about, but it can be difficult to recognize that that's what's holding you back from putting more money in your 401k or, right. you know, doing the things that you want to do. It's hard to recognize that that's what it is because it's a small barrier and you think, oh, I'm just lazy. I'm procrastinating. I haven't done that. When really what the problem is, is something, you know, there's a communication issue with your spouse because uh, he has a money script that's different from yours. So, um, these are the sorts of things that, again, like once you have a sense of who you are and where that's coming from in your life and in your, your family, you're going to be in a much better place to do the things that you actually want to do. Well, I love that. And the, this whole second section of the book, uh, I think, also plays into that whole conversational uh, uh, scenario that needs to happen, uh, particularly if, if you're not single and, and you know heading into retirement alone, is uh, you debunk the retirement myths and you mm-hmm. talk about retirement mm-hmm. income myths, social security myths, Medicare and uh, Medicare and healthcare myths, 
and I know that that's a big section of the book, so I don't want to, uh, you know, deem that not important, but I do want to make sure we have the time to get to the last section, which is about sure. dreaming big, which is what I love to do and which is why I don't pay any attention to money. <laughs> <laughs> but, but why don't you just give us the thumbnail on the debunking retirement myths uh, section? Well, the there book. are a lot of things that people um, believe um, incorrectly about retirement um, from, you know, the idea that a million dollars is the right amount to retire on. Um, or that uh, Social Security is going to be bankrupt and I shouldn't um, uh, count on it, um, or that you know if I get sick, Medicare will take care of me. And so I wanted to go through and, and give the actual facts so that you are making decisions based on what's really true for you and really true right. for the situation you're in, rather than the things that, you know, quote, unquote, everybody knows that aren't necessarily true. Right, right. Well, can we jump ahead to Dream Big? Of course, sure. <laughs> Good. <laughs> so um, you you start this off ag- again about how to retire in place, and mm-hmm. and that ha- that has a lot of different meanings. I think uh, for people, we talked a little bit about the the physical aspects of where you live, and you know if if you can't get around as easily, your knees. Uh, don't work the same way they did when you were younger, <laughs> mm-hmm. and you live in a big two-story house. Um, you know, can you uh, live downstairs? Right? Is mm-hmm. there a way that you can do that? Uh, and and you know, really, who do you have uh, around you to care for you? Which I think leads into the the next chapter about moving closer to the family. So, so how do, how do you begin this this dreaming and planning process of of what does retirement really look like? Well, it's, um, you know, that's one of the things that, uh, again, I think people need to spend a little more time thinking about, um, you know, as as we talked about in Chapter 4, figuring out what you want, um, because, again, we have this vision of retirement that isn't exactly um, appropriate for people retiring in the new millennium. And so, um, you know, I wanted to, in this book, go through uh, the most common scenarios for retirement, what people are most most likely to do in retirement, and give them the specific steps that they're going to need to take to get there, as well as the specific things to think about as, you know, if this is actually the right decision for them. So retiring in place is kind of you know, the most common um, option where, you know, you stop working and continue living in the same house or the same community that you've always lived in. And, um, you know, that's, that's, you know, perfectly legitimate way to retire. Um, certainly something that, uh, you know, I as a homebody can understand. Um, right. But it's also, uh, there are certain things that you may not have considered, um, such as, you know, is your house ready for, for you to, to age in place? Um, you know, how, what will you do if you can no longer drive? Uh, are you in a, in a position to be able to get groceries delivered and those sorts of things while you stay in this house. And so that's the sort of thing that, um, you know, you really want to think through all of the various angles so that you're not um, caught short when something happens that you didn't think about ahead of time. Right. Well, and and you mentioned uh, actually in Chapter 10 about uh, considering moving into a retirement community. And I happen to live in Florida where there are lots of actually really Mm -hmm. cool retirement Mm -hmm. communities. Uh, You know, there are whole uh, whole cities that mm-hmm. are, are retirement um, enclaves, right, with all mm-hmm. different 
not not just a single facility, but you know many many facilities that are geared toward that, and people driving around in golf carts, uh, you know, when they uh, can no longer drive their car. I, although mm-hmm. I'm not sure if they can drive a golf cart either. But um, and then actually my favorite is is Chapter 11, which is about retiring abroad, and I mm-hmm. am a, a HGTV addict. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I have it on as my background noise most of the time. And, you know, mm-hmm. I love the House Hunters International mm-hmm. because it really helps you understand how affordable that could really be. Yes. Um, I, that was something I was very surprised to find out how incredibly affordable retiring abroad is and how, for the most part, pretty easy. I mean, uh, a lot mm-hmm. of times, you know, someone who is in their 60s might think, you know, I can't change. I can't learn a new language. I'm going to have trouble getting used to a different culture. And actually, that's not the case at all. There are a lot of places that are very um, um, retiree-friendly for for American expats. And so that's something that, um, you know, it's – can help you stretch a thinner nest egg um, is retiring abroad while also getting incredible weather, a lively new culture, um, f- incredible food, <laughs> right. um, and, and all of those things. So that was, uh, I was really delighted to, to, um, to read about how, um, how easily um, a, an average retiree can afford um, moving abroad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we, we talk about that all of the time. And, you know, of course, you talk in Chapter 12 about how to travel uh, during mm-hmm. your retirement. And, you know, most of us have that as an a, at least an aspiration of some mm-hmm. some kind. Uh, and, and quite often, you know, one part of the couple, if, if you are married, um, you know, may end up having some kind of physical impairment where that dream of, of traveling uh, you know, just can't be fulfilled. Or in my mm-hmm, my mother mm-hmm. and father in law's case, he still loved to to travel, but she just didn't want to get on an airplane. And mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. so so I think you have to be realistic. Uh, you know, as you think about that. Absolutely, yeah. Um, traveling in retirement um, is something that you have to know what it is that you're looking to do. Because uh, a lot of people say like, oh, I dream of travel, but you know, they're miserable getting on an airplane. They they are you know, somewhat uh, uh, fixed in their eating patterns, um, right. you know, they don't actually want to travel. Um, and that's, <laughs> well, cruising is really good for people who don't really want to travel. Exactly. But you know what? Exactly. I, I, I've spent my whole adult life in the, in the travel industry and, and as a tr- strategic consultant. And one of the uh, most shocking pieces of information that I learned when I was consulting uh, with the the cruise industry was that uh, old people are afraid to go on cruises because they're afraid they're going to die on the ship and they don't know what happens to your body. Oh goodness! <laughs> so uh, maybe that's an angle for for one of your uh, your blogs <laughs> that would make for interesting fodder. Um, <laughs> Now, now, Chapter 13, actually, I think it's a little bit late for me on this one, How to Retire Early, but I do keep telling my husband that that's why I uh, continue to do new entrepreneurial ventures because I'm, I'm building our retirement. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, as, as we keep withdrawing money from various accounts, he doesn't believe that either. Um, but, but certainly there is a way to retire early, and I, I certainly know plenty of people who have done this. So mm-hmm. give us a little thumbnail of that. Uh, well, retiring early is basically um, the extreme version of what I was saying before about, you know, live below your means, save money, um, you know, live in um, 
live small, basically, so you can live big, is kind of how the early retirees that I know um, think of their lives. I have a colleague who I, I mentioned in the um, in the, the book. He he goes by the blogging handle of Mr. Money Mustache, <laughs> which right. always feels a little ridiculous to talk about in a serious context. Right. Um, his his name is Pete, though. Um, but uh, Pete and his wife retired in 2005 at 30, um, oh and they were able to do that by living unlike anyone else. Um, you know, they both uh, would, um, they lived so that they were within biking distance of both of their jobs. And so they lived without a car and saved all mm -hmm. of that money. Um, you know, they, they didn't go out to eat and all of those things. Uh, and a lot of the choices they made um, were, were the sorts of things that sound really intriguing. Um, a lot of them were the kinds of things were like, you know what, I kind of like having cable. <laughs> you know? Right. So it's, it's uh, retiring early is often about making choices um, as to what you uh, value more. Do you value, you know, having a chance to go out to eat and uh, do you value um, taking a lavish vacation every year more than you value the idea of ending your career or do you value the idea of ending your career more? Um, and so for Pete and, and his wife and family, they, they valued the idea of not having to go to a job anymore. Right. And so that's what they do. So um, now for people who aren't going for the, you know, retiring at age 30 extreme, there's also um, options out there for if you want to retire in your 50s. Um, there are ways to tap your 401k um, and your IRA early without um, um, uh, hitting the uh, penalty for um, withdrawing money before 59 and a mm -hmm. half. So, and those are the sorts of things I give examples of and, and, and ways to do that. Although, but all of that, you need to make sure you're doing exactly right because the IRS does not look at mistakes uh, kindly. Right. Right. Um, but there, there are should, things should that Should we send can... them a big mirror? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's that's one of those things where like you'd think that they could let you, you know, you forget to carry a two and they really, <laughs> let it <really>. go. <laughs> Well, um, you know, as we wind down here, the last couple of chapters, uh, you, you do have a chapter about changing careers and retirement. Because, you know, it's interesting as you're talking about, you know, this individual who, who makes the decision to retire in their 30s because they don't want to go into the office. I mean, that that's what I did 20 years ago, but it wasn't retirement. It was mm -hmm. moving out of working in a job for someone else to working mm -hmm. for myself. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I was fortunate that I could go out and, and you know, because of my network, I could consult and, you know, I could manage the highs and lows of that. Um, but, you know, I don't go into an office and I've got an enormous amount of flexibility, which is really important with teenage kids. Mm -hmm. Um you know, so I, I do think that there are so many new options for changing careers in retirement and or even just keeping busy. Uh, I've mm -hmm. got one guy who worked for me. He just turned 70. And, uh, you know, he was working pretty much full time until June. And, uh, you know, he said, you know, don't write me off entirely because I need to keep my mind sharp. And I can <laughs> tell you there are plenty of entrepreneurs who would love to have help, right, mm -hmm. and, and mm -hmm. that may not pay off in you know in the form of a salary or a consulting fee but you know having a little bit of equity in a company that might do something really amazing could give you that money that you need uh, to travel in retirement so mm -hmm. uh, i don't know yeah. if you address that in your change careers in retirement but i can tell you tons of entrepreneurs need seasoned business help 
Yes, yeah. Um, I do talk about, um, you know, there are several different ways to change careers, including becoming an entrepreneur and consulting and, and those sorts of things, you know, relying on the skills that you learned in your career. And, uh, you know, uh, it's important to, if you are unhappy in your job, changing careers in retirement can be a way to continue to save money if uh, if you don't right. necessarily have enough saved, or keep yourself busy, or pursue the passion that you put aside when you know your kids were young and you felt like you needed to make as much money as possible to to take care of the family. And so those are all great things. And again, you know, sixty sixty five is it's not old anymore. It's it's the prime of life, and it's a wonderful time to explore right. something that you're interested in. Well, and then, you know, one of my favorites is Chapter 15 where you talk uh, about uh, how to go back to school in retirement. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I again, I, I'm just this walking contradiction. I, I've been very, very successful in consulting, but I'm a college dropout. Mm-hmm. And And when I look back at, you know, the decision was right at the time. I wouldn't do anything differently. Mm-hmm. But there are some things I would love to study economics. I love geography. Not so much history, but history in a geographical context, right? Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. there are things I would love to go back to school for. So are, are there special deals uh, for people in retirement to go back to school? Uh, yeah, yeah, there are. There's, um, there are a lot of things available to retirees that you might not know about. Um, for instance, some community colleges will allow you to audit classes for free um, if you're, uh, and it depends on where you are. It could be um, what state you're in. Some it's over 60, some 62, and some 65. Right. Uh, so you're on the hook for for um, for books and or any other um, like lab sure. fees or anything like that. But you know that's a great way to continue your education. Oh no, uh, there are also grants available. Um, uh, and that sort of thing for um, for uh, retirees, and you can also start your start a 529 for yourself while you are working if you plan to go back to school in retirement, um, and so you can have the um, the. Uh, tax advantages of um, the 529, and if you end up not going back to school yourself, you can always transfer it to a child or grandchild if you would like uh, like to make sure it still goes to education. Hmm, interesting. No, I wasn't aware of that. Um, you know, the next uh, next to the last chapter is how to work part time in retirement, and I always picture my dad as a greeter at Walmart, right? Mm-hmm, Which mm-hmm. Uh, he had been a minister all of his life, so it was just like Sunday morning, you know, greeting people <laughs> as they came in the door, right? <laughs> Only he didn't get to bend their ear for an hour and a half after that. Um, so, so what are some of the other options for working part time in retirement? Uh, well, working part time in retirement is something to think about. Um, it's a again, it's a good way to like keep money coming in if you've got a uh, less than robust nest egg. Um, it's also a way that you could potentially get um, uh, health insurance if you are uh, involuntarily retired from your your main career uh, and still need health insurance before you turn 65. Um, there are you know several uh, companies that um, I'd say. I'd, about 15 to 20 that I, I mentioned in the, in the chapter that offer um, health benefits for part-time workers. Um, but there's also the, the idea of using your part-time work to do the things that you'd be doing anyway. So if you are interested in going back to school in retirement, you could see if there's uh, part-time work in reception or something like that in your local community college or your local college, and you might be able to take classes for free by doing that. Mm-hmm. If you um, love golfing, uh, you could get a part-time job at uh, your local country club and golf for free. And so right. that's another thing to think about. You know, it not only gets you out of the house and gives you a routine, but it can also help you pay for the things that you want to do anyway. 
Oh, excellent. What a great idea. Well, I, I love leaving on, on a high note, and your last chapter uh, just really speaks to me, and that is, how are you going to leave your legacy? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, a lot of times um, people who are you know, of average income, they assume that um, having an estate and leaving a legacy is only for the richy rich types, you know, that if you are um, just – getting by in retirement or just have an average income, that there's no way you're going to be able to leave money for your family or for um, a favorite charity or anything like that. And so, um, but there are a couple of things that you can do. Um, for instance, um, life insurance is, uh, is one way that you can, um, you can leave, uh, leave money for family or, or a charity that you love. Um, a Roth IRA is another instrument that you can, um, you can use to, uh, to leave a legacy that will continue to grow. Um, and then um, there are ways to set up a trust uh, if you have minor children or if for any reason you are concerned that uh, your beneficiaries might not be able to handle the money that you're going to be leaving them. Um, and actually, I, I'm a big believer in trusts. Um, I know a lot of people feel like you know you shouldn't give money with strings attached, but my feeling is um, it is your money, and if you really want it to be um, used to allow your kids to do X or Y or Z or your grandkids, then there's a way to make sure that that goes goes in that direction. Um, And then there are ways to make bequests to charities that also um, gives you an annuity. There are charitable gift annuities and uh, charitable remainder trusts that uh, you give uh, an amount of money to uh, to the charity of your choice, and it's generally college um, campuses that generally do this, colleges and universities, and you get uh, a, a... an annuity payment um, for the rest of your life, and then they get whatever is the remainder um, of your your original gift once you pass away. And that's a, a really good way to both handle your money while you're living and um, and leave a legacy when you pass away. Very, very interesting. Well, Emily, it has been terrific uh, to talk about uh, the book that is already in print, The Five Years Before You Retire, Retirement Planning When You Need It the Most. And uh, what we have been talking about the last few minutes is her new book, Choose Your Retirement, coming out October 3rd. Is that what you said? October 2nd. October 2nd. Great. Uh, Find the right path to your new adventure. Uh, I believe you can already order it, pre-order it on Amazon. Is that correct? That's correct, yes. Great. So you'll want to go out and get this. I don't care how old you are. Uh, You know, we all need to make sure, uh, because we're living longer, uh, we didn't really spend a lot of time talking about that, but we are Mm -hmm. living longer, and, uh, you know, it, it is just so so important to plan so that you aren't a burden on on the others around you trying to figure (laughs) out how to make it all happen. So I love the finding the right path to your new adventure, um, and uh, that adventure is way better if it's been planned. Mm -hmm, Emily, thank you so, so much for your time. Is there anything you'd like to leave with us, any thought you'd like to leave? Uh, you know, just uh, have fun with it. Um, that's one of the things that, uh, you know, people think of retirement planning as deadly dull. Um, but it, it, it's, it's only deadly dull if you let it be. Have fun. Think of the things you want to do and then figure out how to pay for it. And that's, uh, you know, I personally consider that to be the most fun you can have legally. <laughs> <laughs> Emily, if people would like to uh, to contact you or follow you on social media, have you speak, you know, have you write for, for them and their blog, how do they get in touch with you? Uh, you can reach me at emilyguyberkin at yahoo.com, and you can visit me at emilyguyberkin.com. 
That is my website, and you can find um, uh, various blogs that I've written there as well as uh, contact information and all of that. Well, thank you so much, and I hope you have a wonderful weekend. Well, thank you very much. All right, great. And for those of you who'd like to know more information about the Executive Girlfriends Group, you can reach us at www.executivegirlfriendsgroup.com. And then we also have a private Facebook group. Uh, if you would like to become a member, we have a three-month free membership. And uh, you can access all of our content and participate in our calls. So thank you so much for joining us, and have a great weekend. Bye-bye.